0: Well, uh, telescopes are designed to look out into space, to focus on an object that's a long way away, and then produce a clear image of it. Um, And the way to produce the greatest magnification and the clearest image, it's simply to gather in as much light as you possibly can with a telescope. And the best way to do that is to make the telescope as big as you can. The bigger the telescope, the better the picture. Uh, and so that means uh, mirrors rather than lenses. You can only make a lens so big, but mirror you can basically make as big as you like. Uh, and the largest telescope uh, in the world uh, at the moment is in the Canary Islands in Spain, and its main mirror is 10 metres in diameter, which is sort of from this side of the one, one wall to the other. It's appropriately, appropriately called the Gran Telescopio Canarias. Now I don't need to speak Spanish to work out what that means. It's the big telescope of the Canaries. It's not the most creative name around. But there is a new telescope that's being built in Chile uh, and it's going to have a main mirror that's 40 metres in diameter. Now uh, that's maybe the length of the whole church or the length of our whole site. Uh, it's going to be huge and it's not going to have one mirror, it's going to have Uh, 798 hexagonal smaller mirrors that all fit together and make up this massive great mirror. Now, rather unimaginatively, it's called the ELT. Anyone guess what that stands for? Extremely Large Telescope, right. Now, no one ever said astronomers were the most uh, imaginative people around, I'm guessing. I reckon I could have come up with something more exciting. You know, Gigantor, Hercules, Brutus. Now, that's a name for a telescope, isn't it? Brutus. Well, the little passage we're looking at today is a little like a huge telescope. Uh, We've got God's salvation plan in history through Jesus. It's like the night sky. It's this huge picture that we can only just get our heads around a little bit. The Book of Romans tries to look at that big plan and and summarise it, concentrate it down to a size that's on a few pages and then we come to these final three verses of Romans. And it concentrates the whole argument of Romans down even further, picks up its big ideas and summarises them and brings it all to a conclusion. And it's all down to these three little verses. And we've got the whole night sky reproduced here in this small little picture of these three verses. So what, why? What's the point? Uh, why does the letter finish this way? Rather than simply saying, see you later, yours sincerely, why does Paul finish this way? Well, probably the first thing to notice is that these verses are a doxology. Doxa means glory, logos means word. It's a word of glory. It's a word that gives glory or a prayer that says, may God be glorified. See how it starts in verse 25. It begins, now to him... But if you jump down to the end of those verses, it says, Be glory forever. So it's a request that God would receive glory forever. And the way he receives glory is through all the bits that are in between, the start and the finish. May God receive recognition, adoration for the way he works and for who he is. Paul wants us to look back on God's plan summarised in the book of Romans To save people through Jesus, to recognise it, to understand it, to grasp it, and then to praise God for it. That's why he finishes the way he does. And so that's really my prayer for you today, uh, that you would see more of what God is doing in his son Jesus in the world, and then give him praise for it. Well, God is doing a number of things in these verses. He's hiding things, he's revealing things, he's commanding things. But the one that God wants us, uh, the, the one that Paul wants us to notice uh, uh, that God is doing right here at the start, uh, now to him who is able to establish you, or strengthen you. Paul's never met the Christians in Rome. He knows what they're going through, and what he wants for them above anything, in view of all the pressures from the authorities, pressures to conform or to give up, to stop trusting. He wants them to be established, to be grounded, to be strong. Uh, Australian culture today applauds strong people, whether it's physical strength uh, in our sports men and women or or strength of character in our leaders or our pioneers or our soldiers. We're not really thinking about that sort of strength, that sort of internal, individual, personal strength. God is after an established, a strong faith, a reliance on a strong one. That's how we are established, when we are rooted down into the one who is truly strong, a rock-solid trust in his reliability. That's what will make us established. It's a faith in the strong one that confidently and cheerfully copes with whatever comes our way. You can see that connection... Um, between strength and faith back in uh, chapter 1 verse 11 Paul says I long to see you that I may may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong what's going to make them strong that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith Uh, faith that's why Paul writes, that's why he wants to meet them so that their faith can be encouraged, that that the object of their faith might strengthen them. And so Paul's focus in these final verses is that God wants strengthened, established followers. Notice that it's God who does the strengthening. Paul doesn't finish with a command to his readers, be strong, pull your socks up, do better. He finishes with a reminder that it's God who is able to keep them strong. And isn't it lovely that God is described as the one who is able? The able one. He's the one with the power and the capacity. We are limited, but God is limitless. The perfect one to make you strong is the able one. Now that's great news for us. Uh, Whether we are those who want to encourage others uh, or whether we are the ones being encouraged, it's not up to us. God is the one ultimately who does the strengthening. We may speak the words, but it's God who uses those words to strengthen people. We till the ground, we plant the seed, we water, we fertilise, we weed, we protect, and sometimes we do that well and other, other times we mess up. But it's God that uses us to make people strong. Uh, 1953, the China Inland Mission left China. Uh, A thousand foreign missionaries left behind a relatively small band of half a million Chinese Christians. Their future seemed shaky Uh, under the black clouds of communism and the Cultural Revolution. How would these baby Christians survive without the wisdom and the guidance and the evangelism of the Western missionaries? Who would strengthen them? What would be left when they finally made it back in? Well, they were all the fears that they had, but when Western Christians were allowed back in years later, they were astounded because the numbers of Christians in the house church movement had just exploded. I did a bit of research to try and find how many Christians were in China today and Asia Harvest, the organisation Asia Harvest, had done an accurate calculation uh, region by region through China, and their estimate is 130 million Christians in China. Despite persecution that's growing monthly in China at the moment and, and uh, Western Christians who are being expelled. Now, on a human level, that sort of growth just doesn't make sense. But it's, from God's point of view, it does Because it's God who establishes. God makes faith strong. But that doesn't mean that God works independently of us. It doesn't mean we just get to sit back and put our feet up. Because God's normal, his regular, his ordinary means of strengthening believers is through other believers. There might be miracles, there might be amazing things that God does, but his everyday, normal, Ordinary means of strengthening believers is using other believers. Do you see how verse 25 puts it? Now to him who is able to establish you, how? By my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's really what he's done in this letter. God has established people as they hear Paul's gospel. So the letter of Romans itself is a summary of the message, the gospel that Paul preaches. Uh, So back in chapter 1, verse 15. Back in chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, Back in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel, also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because the gospel is the power of God, for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel is the means, the instrument of God's power to save people. It's the ordinary means by which God does a miracle in people's hearts, whether it's in person with words or whether it's by letter at a distance. Uh, And as, um, as they hear Paul's letter being read, God speaks through those words. He strengthens their faith to trust in the good news about Jesus. If the first part of verse 25 is a comfort to us that God is the one who strengthens, then the second part of that verse is a challenge to us, isn't it? That God strengthens through our words. We have extraordinary, earth shattering, life changing news to share with people. And God says, Partner with me as I establish people, as I strengthen them in the world. Well, Paul goes on. Uh, It's a message that's now been revealed. Halfway through verse 25, he says, My gospel, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings. The news about Jesus was hidden But it's now been revealed, proclaimed, the curtain flung open, the spotlight turns on. It was there in the Old Testament. It wasn't obvious, but it was there. It was was written in shadows and pictures and promises, hinted at, imitated by priests and kings. But now it's, it's there for everyone to see. And what's of particular interest for Paul, one aspect that had been hinted at but has now been revealed, is that this message is no longer simply for the Jews, it's for all nations. Do you see there at the end of verse 26, so that all nations might believe and obey. That's been hinted at in the Old Testament. When Abraham was blessed by God, it was so that he might be a blessing to the nations. That's Genesis 12. And then in Isaiah we read about how Israel was called to be a light to the nations so that the surrounding peoples might recognise how good God is. But Israel never really achieved that calling. They never really were the blessing to the nations that God intended for them, a light for the Gentiles. It took the coming of Jesus for that blessing to go beyond the borders of Israel. That's what Paul's ministry, whole ministry's been about, taking the message to non Jews. Uh, he sprinkled that idea um, all the way through Romans. Uh, he begins in chapter one, verse five. He, here's what Paul describing his own ministry. Through him and for Jesus' namesake, we the apostles received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the nations to the obedience that comes from faith. Uh, Or a bit further on in verse 13, he said, I plan to come to you that I may have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, all the the non-Jews who are around, wise and foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And an important thing when you're reading the Romans is whenever you see everyone, you don't necessarily think every individual. Paul is thinking everyone Jew and non-Jew from all peoples. The theme keeps going all the way through Romans. Chapters 2 and 3, the point is everybody is guilty before God. Everybody has sinned, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a non-Jew. Everyone is guilty before God. Until we come to chapter 3, verse 22. And it says that God makes people righteous. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe, Jew or Gentile. There's no difference. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus. Everyone can be saved. And then we jump down to verse 29. Is God the God of Jews only? No. Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, Gentiles as well. There's only one God who will justify the circumcised, the Jews, by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. That's the glorious truth that's now been revealed in Jesus and that Paul is so excited about. It was hidden. It was hinted at. But now... It's there for everyone to see. Uh, Anyone can be put right with God simply by trusting Jesus. And Paul comes back to that big theme at the end of his letter when he finishes, it's been revealed so that all nations might believe and obey him. Now let's think about that little phrase for a moment, believe and obey him. A better translation of that is, uh, revealed for the obedience of faith to all nations. The obedience of faith. And this is another of Paul's themes that he looks at through his whole letter. The connection between faith and obedience. You see, we, we might say, oh, I believe in something. But it's just a head knowledge. We, we sort of acknowledge that it's true. But it doesn't make any difference for us. God's not interested in that sort of belief. He wants a faith which is doing faith, an active faith, faith that looks different in the choices that you make. That's really what the Christian life is. It's the obedience that comes from faith. And once again, that's an idea that Paul has been about all the way through his letter. Way back in his introduction in chapter 1 verse 5, He describes his ministry this way. We just read this verse. To call people from among all the nations to the obedience that comes from faith. People accuse Paul and they say he's always on about faith. It's a free gift and you don't have to worry about obedience. We should just be able to go on sinning. Paul's not on about that at all. If you trust God, that leads to obedience. Chapters 1 to 3 of Romans, he describes what the faith looks like, what it is you're trusting. Then in chapter 4, he he gives an example of believing faith, of of doing faith. Abraham, chapter 4, believed and did something. He obeyed because he trusted. Chapters 5 to 8 of Romans are about what obedience looks like in the life of a believer. It's peace and joy. It's dying to sin. It's living to Christ. It's being slaves to righteousness. It's experiencing the life of the Spirit in chapter 8. Chapter 12 to 16, Paul gets down to some specific commands of obedience. Uh, You need to be a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercies, chapter 12, verse 1, what are God's mercies? All of chapters 1 to 11. In view of those things that you have faith in, Verses twelve to sixteen: Be a living sacrifice. Obey in view of your faith. Chapter thirteen is about using your gifts. Uh, chapter twelve is using your gifts in love. Chapter thirteen is about submitting to all authorities. Chapter fourteen is about accepting one another. All examples of the obedience that comes from your faith in Jesus. Uh, this is the sort of follower God. Loves to be developing and strengthening uh, one who is working out obedience from their faith. It's why he's revealed the gospel to Paul, the gospel that he's using to strengthen people. But what I want to do for a moment now is to, to stop and think about how does the gospel establish people? How does hearing the gospel strengthen your faith, make you more able to stand? Sometimes people think the gospel is something that you you hear once. When when you first become a Christian, the good news about how you're a sinner, but God sent Jesus to die in your place so that he could forgive your sin. That's the gospel. Uh, That he's now raised to life and he defeats sin and death and you can live with him. That's the gospel. Some people think, I've heard it. I can move on from that. I can just put that on the bookshelf and move on to another truth. God wants us to continually be established by the gospel. We need to keep hearing the gospel. We're told, think about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a way that we can hear the gospel again. This is Jesus' body. He died for me. That's going to make a difference for me this week. Uh, Here's some examples how it may work for you. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a while, uh, but you're sort of just drifting along. You're lukewarm. Maybe your eyes have drifted away from Christ and you're sort of looking at your own situation and you wonder whether your prayers are going beyond the ceiling. You start to wonder maybe you're not a Christian at all. You need to hear the gospel. You need someone to preach the gospel to you. Uh, The news that God offers everyone a free gift. Uh, By grace alone, he's demonstrated his love to you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You are now his friend, uh, Romans 5. If you're now his friend, how much more will he save you from his judgment? You need to hear that. That's the gospel that God strengthens you with. Or maybe you've slipped back into a sin that sin that just trips you up again and again and you can't seem to get past it you need someone to preach the gospel to you that your old nature is gone you have a new nature Romans 6 Christ's spirit has washed you clean he's given you a new heart and a new power victory over sin is possible in his strength Romans 8 That's the gospel that God is strengthening you with. Or maybe you're doing pretty well and you're tempted to boast. You'll think you're doing better than the people around you who are sort of not doing so well. You need someone to preach the gospel to you as well. We're all sinners. No one deserves God's grace. It's a gift you can't earn or buy or repay. You were created for good works. So get on with those good works. Ephesians 2. That's the gospel that God is strengthening you, proud Christian, with. Or maybe you're being persecuted. A boss at work, family member. You're tempted to hide, tempted to retaliate. You need someone to preach the gospel to you. Jesus. Has been raised from the dead. He's been crowned with glory and righteousness. He reigns over every power and authority. One day he will judge perfectly and bring in a new kingdom. That's the gospel that will strengthen you when you're suffering. Or maybe a dark cloud hangs over you of illness or poverty. You need someone to preach the gospel to you. Jesus has defeated sin and death. Your present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. Romans 8. Creation is waiting eagerly for you, son of God, to be gloriously revealed. His kingdom of perfect righteousness has begun and you are part of it. Hope expectantly for the fulfilment of it. That's the gospel that God is strengthening you with. I could go on. But I think you get the idea. Whatever situation you're in, the gospel speaks to you and God strengthens you through it. One final point to make. Uh, Paul says, To him who strengthens you by my gospel, be glory forever through Jesus. What he's saying is that God receives glory. God is praised when everyday Christians are strengthened. Uh, That's the way it worked for Abraham back in chapter 4. Abraham did not waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. I don't think that means he did two separate things. I think it means, as he was strengthened, that gave God glory. We give glory to God as we show by our lives that he's worthy of our obedience, our loyalty. As we trust him we show him trustworthy. As we obey him, we show that his commands are wise and loving. As we proclaim his good news about Jesus, we show him to be infinitely just and loving and merciful. It's so contrary to to the way earthly leadership works. Earthly leaders make themselves look big by making their citizens look small. Look at North Korea or China. But here, our king is glorified when he makes his people strong, when he establishes his people. God is glorified when he puts his eternal plan into action, when he shows his great love by sending his son to die. God is glorified when at the cross he demonstrates himself to be the one who is just, but also the one who justifies ungodly people. The cross does both those things. God is glorified when he calls people from every nation without discrimination to the obedience of faith. And God is glorified when you and I live out in obedience our faith as we do it joyfully and consistently and hopefully as we give glory to God in it as we are established, solid, and immovable. Let me finish with these words. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever Through Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing, or you're going to hum, and Mel's going to sing in response to God's word.